Welcome to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Carrie. And thanks for joining us. It is good to be back in the studio. We've got some really great conversations to share with you in the coming months. And we are also uh, working to nail down some dates for a live event or two this year. Mm-hmm. So be sure to sign up for our mailing list to get all of the details for those when they're announced. We're so excited about all that is ahead and we definitely don't want you to miss out on it. But getting into today's episode, we were actually able to chat with Dave a little bit more about his travels and what he learned during his time of sabbatical. And we got to talk about his study of Celtic spirituality, the need for rest and taking time to step back. And we actually got to hear a couple of the essays that he wrote while he was away. Yeah, we had a good time. And it was it was fun to interview Dave, Dave too. It's just a little something different here for Sandbox to interview a host. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really great to dig into some of the insights that he had to share. So with that, welcome to episode 90, Remember to Breathe. Welcome to the Sandbox. So this is kind of weird. We're sitting here in the Sandbox Global Headquarters, and we are, uh, Dave, you're back uh, from being gone. And we're gonna today's episode, we're just going to dedicate to learning a little bit about what you learned. It's just kind of one of the highly focused opportunities we're going to take for that. And uh, we'll see what today brings. Yes, we will. <laughs> yes, we will. This... Um... Who is Dave Berg? <laughs> He's a man of love. <laughs> so this will be a seven-part series. Seven-part series. That's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I can't even believe it. We were just talking earlier. I was on sabbatical for three months, and I've already been back for two. That's really crazy. Weird. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange, strange thing. It seems uh, time is is so kind of pliable and, and and that three months seemed uh short and long at the same time and, and so does my time back so i, I don't even I don't, I don't even know what to make of any of it but uh <laughs> but here we are in the global headquarters yeah uh, and we've got you on the other side of the mic today and we'll yeah, it's crazy we'll see uh what happens yeah um so maybe just starting with that like you you know you said you've been gone you were gone for three months you've been back for two already mm-hmm. um what's it like to leave something for three months and then come back to it what are those transitions like what is that yeah. What does it feel like? Yeah. You know, I've, I've been, I haven't had three months off since I was in seventh grade. <laughs> okay. Like, and so to have three months to kind of reset the deck or reset your agendas and, and, and pour back in. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, it, it's a bizarre thing. And so it's, um, I'll never forget, like on day one, I woke up and, felt like I had done something wrong. I mean, <laughs> like I, I'm not supposed to be here. I, this, shouldn't be, this shouldn't be happening. I should, yeah. I was a little embarrassed. I, I was just kind of like, I, I don't know what to, uh, to do. I, I felt bad, uh, for people, hmm. uh, on my team who were still, uh, getting the job done. I felt like I had taken something that wasn't mine and it took me a good week or two to get over that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it, it was, and, and then also in that first week or two, holy cow, was I tired, hmm. just so tired, didn't know how tired a guy could be. And I realized just how much I live in adren- an, on adrenaline and caffeine and, <laughs> I, and, and even in the, in a couple of months since I've been back, yeah. there was a moment there where I'm like, well, I either need a nap or I need some more coffee. <laughs> There's that, a moment there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are actually lots of moments, but but it, but it's it's what a what a 
crappy way to live. Yeah. Yeah. And to even prepare those two as like, here are my two options. Yeah. Uh, first of all, to get to that point, <laughs> but then, you know, like we live where neither of those, well, actually one of those options is less normal than the other one. And the less normal one is probably taking a nap. So along those lines, just thinking about the way that sabbatical is different from our culture where it is, you know, take a nap or more, like more importantly, or more pressingly take some coffee or something to get the work done. Mm-hmm. And um, you talking about how you were so tired and everything is the way that I think our culture runs is mm-hmm. like, we're tired, but we're still doing the thing. And so just wondering how sabbatical is countercultural and how you felt in that as you were talking. And then also just should everyone have a sabbatical at some point in their life? What do you think about that? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, every, everybody should have a sabbatical at some point in their life. And also, I think more humane ways of of existing are also mm-hmm. important mm-hmm. Uh, so that, you know, like in my, um, my line of work, uh, they recommend one every seven years. And okay, that's great. So now do I have to bust tail for seven years and mm-hmm. come limping into the next sabbatical? Mm-hmm. Or are there better rhythms to life that I can, that I can yeah. live? Yeah, it's it's uh, so it's it's kind of both ends. So as you're saying though, better rhythms. I mean, we've you and I have talked about this a lot. Like um, we've talked about the concept of balance, and that like we're we're, we're both pretty convinced that balance is a myth. Yeah, like you don't Total actually myth. have a balanced life. Yeah. So in your mind, what do what do better rhythms look like that doesn't like somehow make us assume that there's like some mythical balance we're going to get to? Mm-hmm. I you know honestly, I, I'm just discovering that now. That that's part sure. of the process of coming back. Since coming back, I've learned that I can walk away for from my desk and and go for a walk and walk uh, to a place down the road and get something for lunch and then walk back and all of a sudden I feel better. Mm-hmm. Not because I have food for lunch, but because I got up and I went for a walk. Mm-hmm. There have been times where I have gone home at lunch which I never did because I don't live terribly close to my office. And I, w- I went home and there's some leftovers there and I had something. And then I sat down on my chair and I fell asleep for 20 minutes. And I woke up and I felt fantastic. And I went <laughs> back to the office. And, and I'm still working every day. I, my rhythms aren't great. I, I'm not getting a, a traditional day off perhaps, but I am finding time and rhythm within these days so that I am more human as I go. Yeah. Yeah. So what 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 the rhythms are? What's what's a what's a healthier rhythm? I don't know, and I, that that's that's different for everybody. But yeah. it's, it is a feel thing, and I think it is within your line of work. I don't have the kind of a job where I'm a, on an assembly line making right. widgets uh, from nine to five with a half hour break. I, that's not what I do, and so that line of work has certain mm-hmm. rhythms. Um, mm-hmm. My line of work has certain rhythms and it's just a mm-hmm. matter. And then, and then you layer on family responsibilities and other things too. Right. It's, it's yeah. just what you have to do. But I think that's why, um, you know, as we have tried to, you know, I would, I would say in the last year and a half, and maybe if, if uh, people have been listening for, for a long time to the podcast, they may have, have been more aware of the shift, but um, you know, we had a conversation a while ago with 
with someone who really challenged us to talk about those practices. Yeah, and yeah. I just think that that's, you know, you're right. It, it probably is different for everyone. Uh, even people in real, in similar jobs are going to experience those things differently. But yeah. um, again, just like talking about and knowing those practices. I mean, there's probably lots of things that we all do to like remain sane that we wouldn't even call a practice. Right. right. <laughs> um, but um, but but we have rhythms and patterns that help us like get through things. And I think the more we talk about those, the better we can kind of figure out our own pattern because we have ideas to share about what that looks like. And the, and the, pra- the idea of a practice, I, I had to have a practice in order to go on sabbatical. Uh, but no, I am a card-carrying uh, extrovert. And for me to go on a sabbatical where a good chunk of the time that I would have would be spent by myself. Yeah. I, I didn't uh, – the I had gotten to a point where I would have a day off at home and I get fidgety mm-hmm. because I was so amped up on adrenaline and from the job that I was doing that I knew I didn't want to be doing the job that I was doing. But I would get fidgety because, and I would just – I would be a terrible person around the house. And so what I needed was a practice. And so I started a meditation practice that I did every day, almost every day for a year leading up to the sabbatical so that I could be comfortable in my own skin as I was mm-hmm. going around. And part of that's being an extrovert, fine, but it's actually more than that. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's, uh, it has more to do with, an unhealthy, uh, with the unhealthy rhythms. So it, it, it changed me. It changed my approach to work, family, life. I hate winter with a passion, <laughs> but I was able to last winter, which is one of the worst winters we've had on record in Minnesota, which is saying something. Uh, I didn't say a word about, I didn't say a word about it. My yeah. family was like, do I know you anymore? <laughs> and so it, was, it actually, it changed my approach to a whole mm. lot of things. And it made me a healthy person going into sabbatical. So I went into this, not crashing into a time of rest, but coming into a time of rest when I was relatively healthy mm-hmm. and practices, whatever they are, whether it's meditation or, or going for walks or exercise or whatever your thing is, uh, find your thing because mm-hmm. it, it's important for structure and it's important for life. Mm-hmm. So you've touched on this a bit already, but and it's probably a little too early to tell. You've only been back for two months. Mm-hmm. But how has sabbatical in that experience of those three months changed you? How are you different now than you were in April before you left? Well, I mean, like a fine wine, I get, <laughs> I get a little better, a little better looking every day. I'm, I'm, um, <laughs> I'm <laughs> there's a reason this is an audio podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know how am I different? I, I. It really comes back to at the beginning, you talked about rhythms. Uh, it's rhythms and practices. And what are the rhythms and practices by which I live my life? And mm-hmm. it gave me, gave me time to do that. What I would say is another a practice that I had on, on sabbatical that I had a lot of fun with and was really meaningful was the writing that I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I would take some time um, most days, especially for the first half of the sabbatical, uh, and, and write. And I used to love writing uh, in college and in grad school and in, you know, over the years, but haven't done much uh, because of time and a lot of my creative energies and, and stuff go to other things. Uh, 
but but now I was I had the time and and that was so much fun and and I wrote so much that I don't even remember what I wrote I just I, I read something to Chris earlier that I had forgotten that I wrote it just, <laughs> it was awesome it was pretty uh, great it was <laughs> if I do say so myself it was it was, uh, it was great but it was it was a lot of fun to do and I got to observe things and and I think that's that's maybe also what's what's happened uh since sabbatical the writing allowed me to see and to observe what was actually going on around me and to process it and through through my unique we all have a unique lens but through my unique lens i got to process the things that were happening Mm -hmm. and uh, i'm still processing things i'm not writing them down as much um and that's a problem but but how am i different i'm processing things differently and i'm seeing i think with Mm -hmm. with new eyes Mm -hmm. yeah so when you go on a sabbatical, you tend to obviously be away from your typical work, um, and there's usually a, a kind of a theme or an idea that you're exploring. Uh, and we've kind of mentioned it a little bit, uh, that what you were exploring. But tell us a little bit about what the ideas were that you wanted to figure out and, and kind of make some sense of during the sabbatical. And what did you learn and take away from with that? Yeah, it was kind of a two-headed monster. Uh, the, the sabbatical was the, the two themes were – Sabbath, rest, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but also Celtic Christian spirituality. And I was very interested in that. A colleague of mine introduced me to the, the writings of John Philip Newell and his work around Celtic spirituality and what a rich history uh, that is. And so I got to go to Iona, Scotland, which is this remote three mile by one mile island off the west coast of Scotland and you know it's it takes some doing to get there but then once you're there you're in it right mm-hmm. you're, you're on this island and in the beauty of, uh, of, of of the land you get to experience the the, the teachings and, and the stuff that came out of this place and it's a it's a unique expansive way of, of understanding um, you know, our spirituality and, and, and the world that we live in. So mm-hmm. I got to explore some of those ideas. And there are, like, there are four kind of basic ideas uh, within Celtic spirituality. And, not, and granted, this is simple, simplifying to the extreme. But one is listening for the heartbeat of God. And it's based on this idea that uh, the, you know, if you can imagine the, the picture of the Last Supper, you have John, the apostle, sitting next to Jesus, and he has his head on the chest of Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's just leaning into him, and and it's listening for the heartbeat of the divine. And they say, you know, by by putting his head there, he was listening to the heartbeat of God. So they have a, an approach to reality, an approach to spirituality, where they're always listening and discerning where they're being led, mm-hmm. uh, listening for direction, listening for. Uh, where the divine might be leading them, and it's just a, it's a beautiful, it's an open way of of understanding things. Another thing is uh, there. There's the little book. This is idea of the little book and the big book. And the little book is 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 the scriptures, and 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 you've got that. But actually, the big book is is the first incarnation of the divine. So it's creation. It's all of mm-hmm. creation. And so it it's this understanding that God is infused through everything. Mm-hmm. And it's not saying that God is the tree. That would be pantheism. They're panentheism. So it's 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 God is through the is experienced through the mm-hmm. tree and the lake and 
your next door neighbor and the neighbor's dog, even though the dog barks. And all God is just infused. It's, it's this idea that from the ancient uh, scriptures that say it's, it's in him, it's in God that we live and move and have our being. Mm-hmm. And so we can explore the very essence of, of the divine by being in creation. Mm-hmm. And so that was very present to me as I, as I made my, uh, my way through this this time the other thing there's another uh piece of it and it's that you are good which is oh thanks (laughs) (laughs) i'm good but but the idea is no no no. you are you are good you you are and you're born that way Mm -hmm. and uh so much of contemporary christian uh, ideas is that you know you're it, we're, we're in, we live in total depravity and and you always hear people well I'm just a sinner or I'm just a broken mm-hmm. person I'm just I'm only human yeah 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 but that's not where you start that's not your that's not what defines you what defines you is your goodness mm-hmm. and it goes back to the very beginning in 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 the in the scriptures uh, and the, where it's God creates things and creates them good. Horrible, terrible things happen, and sin happens. But that—that—that's not—that's not where the whole—the whole thing doesn't start there. It's rooted mm-hmm. in, in our goodness, mm-hmm. and so lean into that. And you know, and 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 one of the challenges is, yeah, okay, you you hold a newborn baby and say, ah, that's a sinner. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that newborn baby, that's a broken, that's a broken human being right there. We need some fixing. No, <laughs> that's not what we do. It's a that baby's good. And, and and own that. And so that's – it's it's at the same time super basic but also profound. Mm-hmm. And the other idea and the final one uh, that I, I'll go into, and there's lots, but, but four for that really moved the needle for me is that you already know it. Everybody already has a sense of the holy. Mm-hmm. Everybody mm-hmm. has a sense of the divine. Uh, we might not have the same language for it. We may not even have any language for it. It may be an intu- it may be intuition. It might be mm-hmm. uh, all kinds of things, and and it doesn't matter whether you've ever stepped foot in a church or opened up the Bible, or or or, or maybe it's the opposite. You said uh, I've been sold a bill of goods with that, and I can't deal with it anymore. And but you still have a sense of what it is mm-hmm. because there because the transcendent is we have a sense of that. I, Every mm. human person, like when you have that moment where you get the chills, or you get, you have that sense of, mm-hmm. oh, this, this is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're on a hike in the mountains, right. or you're holding a newborn baby, or you're just on a walk with your dog mm-hmm. and a, on a good morning. Mm-hmm. The holy is there, yeah. mm-hmm. and so we already know it. Yeah, and that one's really striking to me because, um, you know, the. Uh, Everybody knows when they see something that's that's beautiful. Every everybody knows when they see something that's, uh, you know, someone takes care of of their neighbor or feeds someone who needs something. You know, like all of those things, we we, we intuitively understand that those are those are good. That those are those are helpful. Those are beautiful. Um, the only and 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 part of the challenge, I think, in uh, people who myself included to some extent exist more in in church worlds. Uh, the only the the trick of it is remembering that the language that we have is just that mm-hmm. that it's language that it describes uh, these things um, and that these stories that we share are a piece of the puzzle certainly and they help us make sense of things but they're all pointing at 
those realities and those experiences. And so if we can strip away a little bit of that kind of assumed religious language, I think we can maybe get to those things yeah. and help people see differently that they all know it. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of uh, the mysticism idea of thin places mm-hmm. and the idea of there are you know, times in our lives or there's certain places that just feel like they are more holy than others, that it's, mm-hmm. there's a thinner barrier between us and the divine in those places. And so I'm wondering, Dave, would you call Iona a um, thin place? And were you able to find more thin places throughout all of your travels on sabbatical? And are you able to access them more now? Hmm. Do you see them easier now? Mm. I don't. I don't go looking for thin places. I think you recognize a thin place when you're in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, Iona is definitely a, a, a thin place, and there's a so there's this this quote uh, about Iona and being a thin place, and it comes from George McLeod, who's the founder of the Iona community, and he's describing this this island. He says a thin place. This is a thin place where only a tissue paper separates the material from the spiritual, mm-hmm. and it's just a it's, and and that is how I experienced it. Uh, I'll never forget. I came, you know, it's, it's an island, so I'm, I'm. In order to get there, I'm on this ferry, and I'm going across the Iona Sound, mm-hmm. and it, this island just comes out of the mist. Hmm. It's exactly what you would think in Scotland, right? I mean, and you think Braveheart standing on that, you know, <laughs> but it's just like it comes out of the mist, and there it is, and it's just, it's, it's like the land is, is it was just kind of pulsing. Hmm. Um, it's it's just a, just a, a different kind of a vibe there, and you could just stay there. And I, I want, and I'd been there, and I was as I was walking around, I was there with a group of people, about you know seventeen people, and several of them had been there two, three, four times. Hmm. And I remember thinking, oh man, I don't travel overseas very often. Why would I come back to the same spot? Mm-hmm. And now I get it. I get there's a pull and there's a pull back to it and and Scotland's just a beautiful place in general but but yes it's a thin place it's a place and I and I think there are thin places in our lives uh, holy places like that and I, I for me it was a thin place uh, could be Door County Wisconsin it's it's a place that we would go to as a family over the years um, growing up and in, into into adulthood as well just going. Going over there and just watching Lake Michigan, and just mm-hmm. you could just sit out on a chair and look at the lake and sit with family and just enjoy that spot. It's a place where uh, my wife and I uh, we had our honeymoon uh, there. We my parents were there when the birth of our first child happened, and and so we were calling, we we're talking to the hotel <laughs> guy that we'd gotten to know over the years, and just and he was relaying messages because. I don't know. They didn't have cell phones or they didn't have reception or whatever the case. It was just, there was just, it was just awesome. And um, yeah, thin places in life. I wonder if, if there also, there are eras in our life that are thin Mm. places Mm -hmm. when we look back on them. Mm. Um, I think about the year after I I graduated from college. It's when I, I met my wife, Robin and, and, and it was just, and I was, there was a, it was a time in life that was just spectacular and mm. um in in every way both personally and professionally and and things that I was learning and and where I was living and so much good stuff happening at that at that moment and when I look back at yeah that was a mm. that was a thin space yeah so as we're talking about thin spaces it just makes me think that like 
there's there's a there's something about those that make us pay attention, right? There's something that's like it's like so much in front of us that it's hard to miss. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you were talking about your writing a little earlier, you said that it like that that practice of writing was helping you. Um, see things differently, process them differently. Um, what what was what was up with that? And and do you have any good ones that you want to share? Is there anything that you have that you'd be able to read? No, I yeah. You know, there's a funny story with one of the or several of the things that I I, I wrote. Uh, one of them was I'm on this I'm on this airplane and I'm flying from uh, Edinburgh, Scotland to Dublin, uh, Ireland, and I am. Crowded in, I mean, it is a puddle jumper at best. And <laughs> I am just wedged in, uh, you know, uh, on the, uh, on the window side, this two seater, you know, two, it's not two seater. It's a, it's like, you know, two seats on each side of the yeah. aisle. And so there's this woman sitting next to me and, and, um, this, I guess, older couple that's sitting in front, in front of us. And then we, we take off and there's, it's already a small plane. I get that. But then the guy in front of me just starts reclining his seat just as hard as he can. And like, he just, you know, like throwing his body weight back into it because <laughs> somehow it's not going back as far as he thinks it ought to. And it's going back as far as it can, but in the process is just pulverizing my knees. And I'm not, you know, I mean, I'm average height as a, as a guy, but... I, w- I was just getting killed and, and, and this and this woman sitting next to me and I kind of look – at one point I just kind of look over at her and she looks at me and she mouths the words, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> and she looked horrified as well for me. And then I'm like – I just kind of shook my head yes. And then I got my phone out because I didn't have any other room and I typed an essay on my phone about what was going on with this person who's reclining their seat and just killing my knees. <laughs> and I'm writing this and I'm it, it, it's putting me in a good mood just writing it. And then I hand it over to her. And I, I hand her my phone and I'm like, read this. And <laughs> she is laughing out loud in the aisle. And, and we had a great time. And she's from Dublin and she told me all the places I need to go see. And we had – awesome. it, it actually – it redeemed the whole experience mm-hmm. and it changed something that was just a miserable flight that I hated to something that, um, that was fun and I'll never forget. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I could read that essay. I have another essay yeah. about flying cause I did a lot of flying this, this, this summer, but, uh, let's hear that one. Okay. <laughs> it's called, it's called of coach seating and world peace. I'm pretty sure the reclining function in airplane coach seating is a metaphor for all that ails our society. It says to the world, hey, I don't give a damn how my actions impact my neighbor or anyone else in the broader community. I'm entitled to this extra 1.5 inches of luxurious reclining space. It is of no concern if the guy seated directly behind me is paralyzed from the knees down as a consequence of my actions. (laughs) Furthermore, who cares if the combination of our close proximity and his now severely hindered mobility and range of motion relegates him to reluctantly massaging my temples as he's slowly overcome by the noxious fume of my hair product. <laughs> I bought this nonstop flight to Tulsa, and reclining is my right. This person speaks truth. It is her right to recline. But let's be reasonable. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Maybe we can think of it like this. You don't have to recycle. You don't need to hold the door for another person. You can berate your adolescent barista until he cries. It's a free country. 
You can be a racist, xenophobic, misogynistic, ageist, ableist, homophobic, climate change denying, flat earther who tailgates the elderly and tells children the truth about Santa Claus and you would be well within <laughs> your inalienable rights guaranteed by the Constitution and guarded by the highest courts in the land. But it still makes you an inconsiderate jerk and a pretty terrible person, <laughs> in my humble opinion. The person who reclines in coach is not the cause of our global pandemic of greed, narcissism, and vitriol, but is a manifestation of it. I believe that our spaceship Earth, this pale blue dot that we call home, teeters on the brink of collapse because we are no longer caring for anything other than ourselves. This idea is illustrated every time you feel my knees press into your back when we reach cruising altitude. <laughs> this idea is further reinforced when you discover that the chair doesn't recline nearly as far as you believe it ought and keep jamming it back and forth harder onto said knees. Why? Because you will not let another person's knees keep you from realizing your best life. <laughs> My dear people, for the sake of our children and their future, I beg of you, resist the temptation to lean back until you reach your final destination, whether it is in Tulsa or points beyond. Airplane reclining is a gateway drug to nearly every social ill in our planet. <laughs> Do everyone a favor and simply enjoy your stale honey roasted peanuts in the fully upright and locked position as, they, as the sweet baby Jesus intended all along. Now, I am not prone to hyperbole. <laughs> but if you resist the urge to recline I am convinced that the children of the world Will hold hands and unite in harmonious song As a portent of a better tomorrow <laughs> In truth If we look out for one another Sacrifice a bit more For the common good And take care of our neighbor The world can heal A little kindness and patience Will allow us all to live a better and fuller life On airplanes and beyond Caring for the broader community is a lost art, and we need to relearn this before it's too late. And it starts small, like really, really small, like the microscopic seat behind you, <laughs> 7A in coach. <laughs> so I wrote that with my thumbs and handed it to this Irish woman sitting next to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. I wrote something else. Just uh, one other thing, and, and this is a little bit more of a, a snapshot of as I was starting to process mm -hmm. life and uh, a, a bit autobiographical in a sense, but um, it's called blindness. Tears, sweat, adrenaline. Without warning, she was suddenly blind. A commanding voice asks, what is on the first line? Silence. First line, please. A small, shaking, barely audible voice asks, can I have a moment? The visibly shaken 16-year-old girl sits back from the eye exam table at the DMV and takes a deep breath, wipes the tears from her eyes, and suddenly, as if Jesus himself had shown up, she could see again. She passed the eye exam with flying colors. She passed the behind-the-wheel exam, too. Within the hour, she was a newly licensed driver on top of the world, beaming ear to ear. It's funny how stress and tears have a way of blinding us. Sometimes the best thing we can do, perhaps the only thing we can do, is sit back, take a deep breath, wipe the tears from our eyes, try again. 
Yet there seems to be something that keeps us from doing this. Is it pride? Stubbornness? Arrogance? Fear? Embarrassment? An hour later, the 16-year-old girl prepares to return to school where she can celebrate with her friends and teammates. She gathers her books, bags, extra clothes, and gets her, her gear for swim practice later on. The girl is so excited to show off her new license and make plans for the weekend. She loads her stuff into the car, rolls down the window, still beaming ear to ear, and waves at her 45-year-old dad as she drives away. In the very same moment, the dad remembers how ill-prepared he was when he took her home from the hospital 16 years prior. He flashes back to the feelings of inadequacy and anxiety of raising her, keeping her alive, caring for another vulnerable human being. He remembers feeling every bump on the road as they made their way home for the first time. Now the same little girl is driving away on her own. He can't feel the bumps on the road. He can't point out the obstacles ahead. He feels blind. He wipes his eyes, takes a deep breath, walks into the house. So yeah, I, I wrote different things. Some of them autobiographical, some of them uh, silly, um, and somewhere in between. <laughs> so I, I, as I got going, the conversation was that my voice, my written voice is somewhere between Robert Fulgham, everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten, and David Sedaris. <laughs> so it has kind of a pastoral snarkiness to it. And, uh, and that's, that's what I write. And so my hope is at some point to put some of these things out yeah. on a blog. But as I do that, like I have enough to populate a blog once a week for, oh man, probably about uh, 10 months mm -hmm. um, or so. But that 10 months will go quickly and I have to have <laughs> other stuff to show for it. And so the yeah. practice of writing and making good on some of the learnings of the sabbatical mm -hmm. will, um, will, uh, will be important at that point. Mm -hmm. So Cool. I think maybe as we as we uh, finish up this conversation today, I'm just curious. You know, you you were gone on sabbatical, and and obviously it's going to impact and and in, you know include not not the least of which is today. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to impact the podcast and uh, and kind of what you learned is going to be shared in various ways with with our listeners. So I'm curious, what is it that you really would want kind of our listeners to take away with uh, with them today? Breathe. I I didn't realize that I wasn't breathing. Hmm. Hmm. The, the, just life is uh, so fast paced at times that uh, I wasn't breathing. And actually, when I came back, I found out I found that I, I I went back into the old habit, and I went home after one of my sometime in my first week or two back, and I realized. I mean, I was I was like lightheaded and tired in way in a way that I I didn't know what to make of mm. and I realized I hadn't really taken a breath all day. Mm. It's almost like I was holding my breath. Mm -hmm. And and then I realized oh maybe that's what I was doing before and I'm just kind of, you know, it's muscle memory. You get back to work, you stop breathing again. Mm. So breathe. Do that. Um find rhythms you may not be able to have all of the time off that would make you feel awesome. That's, in some levels, unfortunately, our reality, and that's kind of what we live with. But where are your rhythms within it all? And work with those rhythms. 
and uh, and 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 that's important. And that's something I'm working with now. And finally, be open to um, the presence of the divine in everything around you. Uh, this expansive, expansive reality that we have, where we are so limited in our s- scope and our language and our, but know that. Um, as Rob Bell would say, everything is spiritual. Every, everything is is just uh, is saturated, saturated in the presence of the divine. And uh, adjust your gaze, adjust your your vision, uh, and and dare to see that. And it's a it's a it's a beautiful thing. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. If you want to stay up to date with all the things that we've got going on in the Sandbox, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or sign up for our mailing list at sandboxcooperative.com. You can also rate and review us on iTunes and join us in the conversation. And as always, be sure to share this podcast with someone who might like it. There's always more room in the Sandbox. Until next time, we'll see you. Bye. Please watch your step as you exit the Sandbox. 